0: Blog Talk Radio. Time to get in the game.
1: And good morning and welcome once again to American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's good to be back. And I do not know if our schedules are ever going to get right here again. Everything has been topsy turvy. I don't want to talk too much about the things that I have been doing, but. My golly, gee whiz! I've never done more yard work i I hate to make that confession, but uh it's I'm starting to get to be an expert, folks. what can I say? Repetition is the mother of skill repetition repetition, repetition is the only thing that you need to do to get really good at at these things that we're going after anyhow it it um it's very frustrating, but you know we we, it's it's tough to keep your hands tied behind your back for so long, isn't it? I I told my wife the other day after you have your hands tied behind your back so long, and then you then you finally you get to the place where you just want to break out and run or something. But anyhow, we uh, I'm getting it done. at home. I'm getting it done with the planning. I'm getting it done with all those things. I guess we need to do all of us. And I forgot how slow life is without the this, this cell phone calling us every minute to having to be somewhere else and stuff. But we, all that stops. We're going back to work July 1st, which I am darn excited about. So we should be back on a regular schedule, and uh, we're going to have some great shows coming to you. And I'm really, really happy that uh, today we, we've, we've got a great one for you. Okay, Coach, Josh Goffey. I'm just going to tell you before we bring him on the line here, but I don't know when I've ever been more proud of a of a player that I've coached. He he definitely's up there in the top four or five because he is he's been a tennis person most of his life. I've seen him all the t- way back to where when he grew up, and then the whole process of him going through junior tennis. Of course, he got to come to Clemson and play. Uh, at Clemson, became a great number one player that we had, and then he went out on a pro tour. And then he, now he's at the University of South Carolina. But we're going to have him on here. I just wanted to mention, and, and the things that he's going to bring you, I don't want to leave out. I, I'm, I'm going to bait you a little bit. But um, we're going to talk about his the progression of developing a player from a skinny rookie. I hate to say that, and I don't uh, – Coach Josh, I hate to call your guy a skinny rookie. I don't know. He's 135 pounds soaking wet, I think, when he came in there. But uh, I hate to – I'm not cutting on the guy now, but he went from a number six guy to the number one player in college tennis in three short years, and and we're going to talk about that. Are you okay with that, Coach? I'm not cutting on your guy.
2: Absolutely, Absolutely. 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 <laughs> okay. We Let's have to talk
1: about that. We want to talk about the the other thing was so great about uh Josh. Uh you now a representative with college tenants in the ITA and and uh, a regional rep, but also you're moving up in the ranks and some of the leadership. And I, I love seeing that and I don't know when we've had better communication. Uh it's it's been very, very good to uh, get your updates, your insights, your questionnaires, and everything, just trying to keep ahead of the curve here with what's going on with this, this virus thing that's going on and and uh, all of the questions that we all have. Uh, we also want to talk about the big vision for tennis for the U.S. I've got this, uh, golly, this guy, Javier Palenque down in Florida, guys. You, you, uh, everybody out there listening, you ought to follow his stuff. I mean, he is profound, I mean, he is sort of in your face with the stuff, but I love him because he really put some good stuff out there, but we're going to try to talk about uh, American tennis and then see where we go from there. So anyhow, Josh, welcome and and thanks a lot. I know you've got uh, meetings. I was getting ready there. I was was hoping that we would get you on, but uh, anyhow, thanks a lot for coming on today. you know, so if you got a whole hour, I guess the first thing, have you got a whole hour or
2: yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm yours. Let's do this.
1: All right. Great. Great. So, but we all are having to do that. So anyhow, Josh, let's talk real quick. I just want to get everybody to have a little bit of background, um, about your coaching progression there. Um, golly, we could go back into your youth and your dad, Carlos Goffey was, uh, Fantastic man that's been a good friend of mine for many, many years, but he was old Harry Hopman uh, trainee, and uh, he taught you a lot of tough things about working for things and everything. But I want to hear about the progression of your building the program there at the University of South Carolina, but also let's get over and to start talking about your guy uh, who won the NCAAs in, in 2019, Paul Paul Chubb there okay so yeah yeah okay go yeah, ahead so, man It'll well be your program okay well 10 today. years ago
2: so almost oh, to the God, day are 10 you years kidding ago me?
1: what literally what? Yeah, I mean, wait a minute yeah. did you say you but 10 years are
0: you ten kidding me South Carolina holy yeah. guacamole
2: yeah it's, okay it's, so, I know but, it's it's, it's <laughs> been a while so it's been a it's been a long progression um but, uh, yeah, when we came in, it was uh, the first thing, you know, I think when you take over any program, um, you know, the number one number one goal is to really establish your your culture. Uh, Ken Mars, the coach prior to me, was did a phenomenal job. He was one of the most successful coaches in college tennis that uh, coach you competed against for a long time. Uh, he did a great job here. But like anything, when you come in, you definitely want to take over and, and really put your spin on things and, and your values into it, um, regardless of, What was here before so that was the the main goal and and really for the first three years of uh, our of the program um it was all about that team practices individual practices uh was establishing standards uh so they became really just automatic in behavior for every kid every coach the language that we were all speaking to each other um that was the that was solely the most important thing for for me um to really put the roots down for the for the program and we got lucky uh, in, in some certain areas. I mean, you need a little luck, I think, when you're doing things. Um, timing of things is always very important. Um, you know, we, we had a, f- a few big recruits that bought into us right off the bat, but, but not necessarily the biggest of recruits or the real uh, big names. I, when I say big-time recruits, for us, they were the, the right culture recruits early on. Um, you know, I remember flying up there, coach to, to meet with Andrew Adams and his family, um, which is currently Andrew is now currently our assistant. Uh, he's come full circle here, but um, Andrew was was that tough kid that that was ready to break out and break through, and he had a good, great training environment under you and uh, Vesa up there in in College Park, and um, and he was ready to explode down here. And he is a real big uh, anchor for us as far as culture coming in and, and making it a very competitive environment amongst inside the team, uh, amongst each other as teammates and. And uh, he did a great job amongst Tiago Pinero, Kyle Cook, the local South Carolina boy, Um, really, really grew in that progression. So they were really the trailblazers early on, Uh, and we've given them that name. We've almost, you know, given them that title of, look, you guys are the ones that are breaking down, changing paradigms, breaking down barriers, reestablishing pecking orders. So, you know, we used to celebrate any win inside the SEC and really any win that we would get just just that we were headhunting at that point and really shaking up the entire structure of, of what had been developed in the sec. And so with every win that came a little more confidence in these guys, you know, they grew, they, they all the hard work and all the, all the sacrifices that got, these guys were making on a daily basis was, was becoming worth it. And, you know, we got a little fortunate. And once you, as you know, you, once you get on a roll and whether that belief comes, you know, when you get down three, one in a dual match, I think we came back nine times that year and won nine, four, three matches being down three, one or three, two. Uh, wow, to favorite in teams in-
1: probably, to favorite teams, that's an important thing. So you get down, and I talk about this a lot. I'd I say you got to learn how to lose the right way, win the right way. But you were down yeah. to teams that had a pecking order over you, and you're down yeah. three to one. And talk about that a little bit about the mentality. You know, I mean, if you if you break at all, if you press, you're done. If you push the red line, like in that movie Ford versus Ferrari, I love, but it's like Mm -hmm. 7,000 RPM there. If you blow the engine, you press or try to tree, as they say, or plate above your head, you crack. But if you withdraw energy, you crack. I think that's a real important point. Could you talk about how you got the guys to be from an underdog to a favorite?
2: Yeah, you know, for us it was we had the mentality going into the match that you know, one we were in great shape. You know, that's one of the main controllables at a at an early stage in, in a program that, that you can control, and the guys have complete control. And if you can get them to buy into the benefits of of taking someone to distance uh, in leveling leveling the playing field that as the deeper the match goes, then then you know it's it's a major benefit, obviously. So when we would you know the goal going out there, say against the Georgias or the Texas A and M's or you know at that point Alabama's and and whoever in our conference it was. It was, oh, we need to get to the third hour of this match. You know, that's, that's the goal. Let's go. Let's, you know, our, goal, our job is to get in there. So it wasn't necessarily about how we were hitting the ball. It wasn't anything about how we were playing. It wasn't anything about that. It was, it was let's get in there and let's make this nasty and let's make it dirty. Let's get in there and, like, let's extend rallies. Let's extend games. Let's make sure that uh, these guys know we're here. And, you know, when you're the favorite, you're walking around above the water, you know, you're feeling good, you know, and everything's nice. Uh, they don't even see this coming. You know, and that was the goal. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, they'll they'll realize they're going to have to pay attention to us in the third hour. And once that happens, the pressure loads in on the favorite. Uh, and our guys, it's not that we are hoping to get the win at that point, is that we knew we were exactly where we needed to be in that moment of the match. And so our guys relish that moment, whereas the most of our opponents that year were playing scared. And once that starts happening, you get comfortable playing in that environment where This is right where I'm supposed to be. This has been the plan all match long. You know, I've been out here for three hours and we're finally here. This is exactly where I want to be. It's definitely an aggressive mentality. It's a proactive mentality, whereas now you've trapped your opponent in a very reactive mentality and he's panicking, he's got anxiety. Uh, Coaches are trying to figure out how to beat the guy across the net, you know, because they haven't really been paying too much attention to what you've been doing the entire match and on and on. Um, You know, and that's a very – fun way to play the game um when you are the underdog and you can play that mentality of just getting in there a little bit so um that's really the story of that entire year and our guys you know it it's one of the one of my most favorite years of, of college tennis coaching for sure just because the you know playing freely as a player is is a tough thing to accomplish on a consistent basis but but we had all six players that year ripping their shirts off and playing just like freely with belief
0: though that's
1: but if i could jump in playing freely but a deep belief and the thing you said that only comes from your work ethic you have to earn that in practice you know correct with with the work ethic that you have they in your mentality so the youngsters out there listening that's very very important that you understand that that you earn you earned the right to, to to believe by by your work ethic and everything. So after that, then, you continue to build your team in the toughest conference in America, the SEC, yeah. and you're trying to peck away. And then fast forward just through that, but we want to get to, yeah. up to where you,
0: uh,
2: yeah.
1: you hit that milestone last year.
2: Yeah, Um you know, so it, it was. It's been a consistent build, you know, all the way through. Consistently finishing top 25 in the country, top 20 in the country now, and um, you know, and and every guy in our program has has been a part of that build. And and hopefully, there's a lot more to come. Um, and the culture is is a, a tip-top shape as from what I can see right now. It's we're in we're in the best spot we can be as far as the way our guys are communicating, their their buy-in, their understanding of why we're here. Um, you know, in doing what we do on a consistent basis with the language we speak and on and on. So it's been great. But, you know, Paul Jubb is, is you know, one of our, uh, he's the best player that's ever played here, obviously, and, and the one that's gotten the most attention, and rightfully so with winning in Civil A's. But his story is just, it's a beautiful story, and, and it's a heartfelt story where you feel for the kid and and you just root for him at all times. But, you know, that's, that's really due to him. Um, he came in. And it was really interesting he came in in a great opportunity he had um he had a senior he had a lot of seniors on the team that were uh that were great leaders and and a heavy so heavy think. junior and, right? a heavy yep. junior and senior laden team with a great culture going on and they were they took him under the wing and you know a tennis player recognizes another player you know a real player and somebody that wants it bad and uh and he came in and he was just little and he was he was a little pit squeak of a kid. Um, you know, and and he he looked like a little boy when he came in. He hadn't gone through really, he hasn't really matured physically. But, you know, the mind was sharp, and the mind was directed in one direction. It was, and that was very obvious, almost to the point where his, he was trying to chew on things that he couldn't digest. Um, But there was no stopping him at that point. So, and when I say that is that, you know, our very first team meeting, uh, he had no problem. The very first team meeting that he was in, he came in in January of that freshman year, um, and the very first team meeting, we're talking about pressure and, and the pressures that were coming, uh, that were eventually coming throughout the season, and how this team was going to deal with it because it was a different year, and, and on and on. Um, and he and he got up and he started speaking to the team as a as a, as a freshly turned 17 year old kid with a bunch of seniors that were 22, 23 years old, and and that's that right there showed us. Uh, all the seniors and everybody in the room were like, "Who is this guy? This guy got here two days ago, and this guy's already telling us like, you know, his side of the story." What, you know, just sit down, little freshman, and uh, and and all of us were kind of, you know, as coaches, were like, "Oh gosh, you know, what what's this going to turn into?" And then we, you know, we started learning him on the practice court, and this in his intensity on every ball immediately separated him. His ball quality was good; it wasn't great. His movement was great. Uh, but he was getting bullied around the court you know by the more physical presence of the seniors and juniors and, and and those were great those were good college tennis players and he was getting bullied, but you could see it every week he was getting a little bit better and a little bit closer, and it was just because of his intention behind every single ball um, you know something that he taught me immediately, and I learned a lot from Paul job just as becoming a better coach and how to manage players that are as uh, as dedicated and driven as him um, and and really have changed the, my practices as, as the way I deal with each individual player on my team because of him. Um, he was, he was the one coming to coach all the time. And it wasn't coach reminding or coach pleading or coach, you know, begging for, for work to be done. It was, there was not a day where he didn't come to me before practice and tell me what he was going to focus on or ask what he needed to focus on or after practice, kind of going over how practice went or how that match went. Um, after every single weekend, that freshman spring that he got in, uh, whether it be the singles match that he played or, the, or initially he was just in doubles to give him some reps, uh, he was coming and saying, you know, hey, can we talk? I'd like to go over my match. I'd like to go over what I was doing out there. And, you know, I was like, man, this guy is all over me. This guy just is, is relentless. But what I started realizing was uh, he wasn't begging for attention he was legitimately digesting what he did on the court and developing a new game plan for that week of practice and what he was going to go out there and get better at. And it was a constant dial in from day one till the end of this is the best in college tennis. This is the next benchmark for me. How am I going to become the best in college tennis? And so I need a roadmap. I need a game plan. And once that trust was built between coach and player, it was a very collaborative effort it was make no mistake it was 100% driven by him and to be a great player that is the that is the one thing i've learned is coaches that are controlled control uh control minded as as myself um i like everything dialed in on every every part of the program but if it is not driven by your player or your players it's it's uh ultimately in the big moments they're not going to get it done the player has to be the driver
1: could I jump in just a second? There is a very important yep. point here. He came. You told me he came from a very small place, a village. He wasn't on most people's radar. He was a yep. he was a kid to just love the innocence of his dreams was a beautiful thing. All right, my point yep. is, I've for years I've had a saying that you keep fog on top of the mountain till the kids are too high up to turn back, and I I always say that. You need to, in order to have a vision, you don't want too much reality at the start. Do you think that maybe we expose our kids in the United States to too much of the circus or too much of the rodeo, you know, before they even get there? And then it's, what you say in there is the whole thing. It's the owning it. He owns it. He he owned it. It's Mm -hmm. his. It's his. And, and, uh, could you elaborate just a little bit on that? Because that's a big point. The confusion here, and we're going to go into the program today is in the United States of America, you know, where are our next champions going to come from? And does that have some relevance? Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So, Paul's, Paul's upbringing when he was real young, um, you know, he was like any other kid, just after school programs that he got into. And, um, you know, and that developed more into a couple times a week. And and then from there, once once he started saying, hey, I can probably do this, uh, you know, a couple co- local coach over there in and, and whole England uh, took him under his wing and started working with him at the end of the days and, and on and on. But, you know, a lot of it was, again, it was always driven by Paul, I'm not saying he didn't have, you know, go through all the the attitude changes and things like that as a junior, um, you know, he just learned what professionalism looked like and, and how to minimize, uh, you know, going backwards and progressions and, you know, and how, how delicate it can be. But he, he just enjoys the sport. You know, I, I think that's a lot of it is that, um, I don't, I don't really coach, I don't have enough experience to be honest, uh, to, to really answer that question when it comes to, uh, showing, showing really kids too much, um, you know, before, before they need to be, before it needs to be shown. But, you know, I can only speak to Paul's progression and, you know, I've got a little girl that I, my daughter that I'm trying to start into tennis right now. And, and, and that's a very delicate situation as well. And, and so as far as, as far as junior development goes, you know, it, it has to be, it has to be there. So I can, I can speak to mine. My father had a lot more experience than that. He actually spoke to, to a lot of the country as far as coaches and players. He used to run a workshop with Nike, um, Called Parent Player Workshop uh, that was talking about Mac relationships between parents. Hey, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Mac yeah, so yeah, so he's you know he has a wealth of experience um, and and really is the authority on that from what I can tell back in the day and um, you know the way he dealt with with me personally was he never dragged me to the court he never put me out there he definitely uh, steered me in the right direction but there was a day. Uh, that I remember very vividly because of the way he responded to, to, me, to me asking a certain question. Um, you know, he kept me in multiple sports going until I was about 14, and I, I enjoyed just being an athlete. It, didn't, I, it wasn't necessarily I was a tennis player, a soccer player, basketball player. I was just an athlete, and uh, all that was in, in case that I did want to be a tennis player, um, was working on athleticism, bounce, spatial awareness, all that kind of stuff, but there was a day when I was 14, I said, Dad, I want to play tennis. I want to be a tennis player. I want to be a pro. And he kind of laughed, and he goes, well, I've been waiting for this day uh, for a long time. And, I, and I, go, I go, wow. You know, I was like, what does that mean? He's just like, he goes, well, it's got to be your choice. And so just understand from this point on, you know, there's I'm going to be a coach, and I'm also going to be your dad, but I'll never be the both at the same time. And oh so, you know, he established some rules there of the way we were going to go forward and but but, what that taught me was right there was that this was mine, and it was a privilege. his time was a privilege for me, and that I needed to respect his time on the court, but at the same time, it was me and the day that I didn't want to play is the day that he would stop coaching uh, and that, and it wouldn't be anything personal. It's just you know you can't do this if you don't want to be out there and so to me, that was a, another another example, uh, just like Paul's, that if it's not player driven uh, then really. Really, it's, uh, you know, climbing. There's going to be a ceiling there for sure.
1: Boy, that's great wisdom. That is great wisdom. Can you then lack a couple minutes here, and then I want to uh, change uh, gears here a little bit. Can you walk through the progression down there in Florida of him winning uh, match after match, coming from behind? Just, Just a couple things, the mindset, and then finally, you know you're there at the big moment and he had to play a fella to beat mm-hmm. him twice that year and there he is the mm-hmm. biggest prize of all and never been done there at university of south carolina before all the thing could you just walk through that a little bit so people could sort of experience that through your words
2: yeah um well you know one of those things was there's there's going to be setbacks in your career and your dreams going to be crushed as a player uh over and over um you know, just to go back before we answer that question, there was there's a there's a very pivotal time in, in Jubb's freshman year where he had gotten in the lineup and he was starting to play well. He went nine and two once he got in. I mean he was he, he got a hold of it. Uh won his first match seven six in the third. Uh and he went out there in the breaker and and absolutely uh went over to him in middle and he you could see he was a little nervous. A team matches on the line it was three three two. We were down. Um and uh, Yancey Dennis ended up coming back and winning six straight games on that court to win, three, go to three all, and then we were in a breaker there with Job in the third. And um, you know, we went over there and you could see it. And I just, and he goes, "Look, I just, I feel like I'm being too tentative." And I was, and I looked at him. I go, "Let it rip, baby. Just go. Like you just let it rip. You know what you're doing out here." And he went out there and proceeded to work points. It wasn't like a one-two punches, but he ended up finishing at net three or four times and hitting a couple more winners and for to end up winning that breaker. And that set him up to be able to move through uh, the next part of that season. But in the middle of that season, towards the end, we played Georgia. Uh, and he got, he was beaten by Robert Loeb pretty badly, uh, South Carolina boy. And uh, he got beat two and one down on court six. And he came in my office that next Monday and sat here and uh, he said, I need to talk. And he said, look, coach, Am I silly to think that i oh, I have a chance to be a pro? and at that point, you know that was that's a breaking point where he was legitimately soul searching, and that that loss hurt him so bad that uh from there he made a decision that that he was gonna give everything he possibly had in every day of practice because that's the only thing he could do to ensure that he had the best possible chance of becoming a pro and so uh to me, that's one of the best moments that I've seen in a kid where he has, he literally turned the switch and the focus was so dialed in after that and there was a, there was a uh, relentlessness about him when he was going out there uh, in practice for the rest of that season and into that next summer. To give, to give you perspective, he paid his own way to go look at NCAAs that, at the end of freshman year, NCAA individual tournament by himself. No Whoa. coach asked him to or pleaded him to. He paid his own Whoa. way to go and watch the NCAA tournament to see the competition level that he needed to get to
1: you are okay,
2: following great the following year the following year he got in as an alternate uh he went from number 4 at the beginning of sophomore year uh to finishing playing number 1 ahead of everybody else on my team at the NCAA tournament and um and got in as an alternate to NCAA's and beat a top 10 top 15 ITF kid that was a freshman that was a very good player for North Carolina and lost to the number 2 player in college tennis Four and four, but that song, that that year right there was he goes I I'm doing it I am doing this, and the following year after that he ended up getting to the uh, finals and winning NCAA's. So that's a little bit about his progression there. But it was, uh, you know, his ability to really understand the game and really get into the understanding of the game of tennis was different than, than most. It wasn't about how he was feeling the ball; it was more about Uh, I'm losing, you know, he he understood the gives and takes of tennis. He understood where he needed to take time. Um, Didn't know how to go about accomplishing it, accomplishing it, but he would relentlessly watch video of himself and watch video of people doing things the right way and then just go attack that and practice every day. So, we'll fast forward all the way to NCAAs. Um, He had a great year. Uh, He walked into that tournament as the fifth or sixth seed, I think. Uh, So, you know, definitely one of the contenders, but um like any kid it was it was another another memorable moment for me as a coach and a player uh was getting there he had a few good practices two days prior to the tournament we got there um are we good here coach (laughs)
1: This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and we will have Coach Goffey right back on here in a second. Let's go to a commercial here. And it's Coach Chuck Creasy reminding you that Coaching Tennis is still out there, folks, and it is one of the top-selling books of the last 20 years, Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy. You can go to Amazon and order it. It's much more than just a tennis coaching book. You can get all kinds of ideas about your game, both the physical, the, the mental, and the emotional parts. It's called Coaching Tennis, Coach Chuck Creasy, and just go to Amazon and order it today. Creasy and folks, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there, and I do not know how much of the program's cut out. But Josh, we got you back, and I, my apologies, right. I have no idea what happened there with the phone lines. But uh, we've got our yeah, support no hooked up to one, so it's it's good. So real quick, you just finish up the story on Paul uh, there at yep. the NCAA tournament, if you can. And I'm Absolutely. hoping this will not happen again. But uh, bear with us folks we we're glad to have you back
2: go ahead all right all right yeah so uh just to continue there we uh we we got there just like most people a couple days prior to the tournament beginning uh knowing it was a big opportunity for him um to springboard him into the summer that he was going to play quite a few tournaments over there uh, um on the pro circuit and give it a go so um we got there in the first day there was, there was not a lot of pressure on him. He was a feel good hit and he felt great hitting with another, uh, another player in the draw. And, and um, you know, that always typically scares me when, when players are a little bit too loose prior to a tournament um, because at some point the pressure is going to hit, especially when you're a seat and and you are expected to be later in the draw uh, to be showing up later in the draw. So um, the following day though, it hit, Um, didn't feel good. Uh, Practice was not great the anxiety of the tournament, the, the pressure of the tournament started getting into him a little bit, uh, the expectations of what he needed to be playing like. Uh, we playing, you know, negatives in his head. And uh, I remember sitting down just kind of uh, ending practice. And, and he was practicing with me that day, uh, sh- shutting practice down. I said, look, you know, I'm not, we're not going to hit any more balls here and, until the mindset is right, because you're guaranteeing yourself a loss tomorrow. If we continue this way, um, you know, it's, there's a skill to run a tournament. There's a, it, running a tournament is a skill, just like understanding how to run a match, the momentum of a match. There's a momentum in a tournament, and um, and it needs to be treated in a certain way. And so the way that we we spoke about it was the first, the first round has nothing to do with how you're hitting the ball. We don't need to be playing like you need to be winning the finals tomorrow, you know, in the first round. Tomorrow is about one thing and one thing only, is to establish to yourself that, that you are going to compete at the highest level, not necessarily hit the ball or play the way you'd like but you're going to compete at the highest level that you can possibly compete all tournament long. And that's tomorrow. And that's bringing your controllables. It's what you can control. You have to be a hundred out of a hundred that first day. Um, And so, you know, and, and let the, let the chips fall where they may, you know? And so from there he took a deep breath and he was able to go out there. We finished in a pretty decent practice. And the next day it was exactly that he went out there and it was an uncomfortable Round, it was it was you know bad errors and just and it wasn't great um, because of his lead in. and and but you know what he did a phenomenal job was that he competed extremely well in, in extreme, he just competed his butt off. Um, he was poised in the big moments. He was in control of his mind in the big moments. He was positive when he needed to be. Um, you know when things were coming a little loose there, he got right back on control. You know, and at that point, as a coach, you can see it from the outside of, like, okay, okay. Like, I think that, look, this guy, better tennis is coming, and it's coming quick because he's established that he can win playing, hitting the ball probably at his worst. It
1: wasn't about playing Um, pretty, right? Yeah. It
2: wasn't about it, and that's generally first rounds, you know. First round, second rounds, get the jitters out. Everybody's nervous. Um, You know, people are going to be coming for you, but you put your foot down and show that you're a competitor. You're setting yourself up for a lot of success later in that draw and slowly but surely the second round he played a, a a big server and it wasn't great i think a lefty and it wasn't it wasn't still wasn't great but it was better and you know he came off the court and he goes got it done and i said yeah and it's a bit better and he goes a little bit better today he goes tomorrow will be much better and sure enough the, the next day he went out there and uh started taking care of business and taking care of business and 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 tennis started becoming the guy you know at that point he proved to himself that that somebody's going to have to beat me playing their best tennis by the time he got to the quarters. Uh, Confidence was built at that point of, of him as a competitor and the tennis and the amount of reps that he was getting in pressure environments there. uh, And as the draw went on um, kept on stacking up in his favor. And so by the time he got to the finals, um, he played a, uh, he played a guy from Mississippi state, Nuna Borges, to me, probably the best competitor uh, in college tennis that year. I think he had lost once, maybe, maybe not even, maybe didn't lose once. I don't even know during the whole entire year, but had beaten Paul twice in two highly contested matches. Paul had match points on him, uh, a match point um, in our dual match uh, earlier that year. So Paul's belief in beating Nuno was there, Um, but he did he did his homework, and he knew exactly how to go in there, and he knew that he had to play at a high level in order to beat Nuno. Nuno doesn't give you an inch, and so you have to win points. You have to win points against Nuno. You can't make him lose to you. And uh, and so it was a very fine line of playing on that edge of of being extremely aggressive, yet being completely in control of what you're doing. And uh, But we also knew on the other side that, that Nuno had all the pressure on him. Nuno, I think, was the number one or number two seed in the draw in the finals, had beaten pole twice, uh, had made semis of the NCAA tournament two or three times already, and this was his year to win. And so – from Paul going from being the top dog from every round, he now went into the underdog mentality in that finals. But the one thing about Paul Jubb is that he's never satisfied and he'll never just kind of give up and say, ah, but it's okay, you know, I, I made finals and, and everybody's going to be happy for me. When he'll get to that point and that 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 thought may get in his head, but then he squashes it very quickly and you can see it. His his warm-up was, was amazing. Um, I think, Coach, you actually said, don't, do not mess with your routines throughout that, that, uh, that week. That is one of the most important things that you can do, and it was an amazing piece of advice, and I was calling you for advice. It was the first time that I, as a coach, was ever in that position, um, and I was calling you for advice because you had been there, and that's one of the greatest pieces of advice you could have given us. So regardless of how well he was hitting the ball, we went through the same warm-ups that I was well, – we were on court together, warming up. Uh, we did – we went through the Your Tempo Drill, uh, every day, I, that was the last thing that he did. Every single time that we went out for that whole tournament, was get the tempo up at the very end, and it had to be set to a certain standard. And we didn't leave the practice court until that was done. And uh, and we kept it, even though he was feeling good and he could see the ball as clear as day. Uh, we went out there and kept that standard. And when he went out to that finals, uh, I, there was there was no stopping him. And in that big moment, it was amazing when he finally got there to that moment. Uh, if anybody had seen that, saw that last match point. He knew exactly how he was going to go, and he played aggressive. He big serve, big forehand, got the next forehand in his, in his pattern, inside in. Ball came cross court, and he jumped on that thing, without any doubt, and uh, put a winner through the court and won the national championship. It was pretty cool to see. Well, I'm
1: so happy for you. I, I couldn't be more happy, and and for him, and your your school, your teammates, all 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 those things. But the biggest thing you come through and saying that he kept his routines, he kept his belief. Most people, parents, kids out there, coaches, they want to try to get the game so good that you don't have those pressure filled big moments, but you've talked so often about him preparing himself for big moment tennis ever since mm-hmm. he entered school and way before by his mindset. It was his it's always been his mindset. Is ownership it's not something That just comes to you and that's so Important mm-hmm. to parents your Youngsters got to own it coaches they Got to own it and that's the whole mm-hmm. Trick to coaching if we can somehow Turn ownership over To them and then get them to own it Whether they like you or don't like you But uh, that that's just uh, Wonderful Josh so let's Go forward now you've had you, You've given everybody Priceless information If they take it in and if they Listen and they can apply it to The people themselves or who They're working with so college Tennis now we've got a lot Going on The The problems we have have never been faced before Never before they just stopped the Season right in the middle Never before has there been so much Uncertainty because Of this the virus that that's Out there and and um, You know just shutting us down And then the kids go home and and everything so they've dropped i think last i know five programs definitely that they've dropped i don't need to name the programs i'm not going to cast bad Mm -hmm. light but they've dropped five tennis programs and the athletic directors have to make these decisions whether it's financial or whether it's quotas or whether whatever it is they've chosen tennis to drop so we are in a critical place and before this ever happened before the first one was dropped we got a letter from you in the ITA that said, look, let's get ahead of this thing. And, and so could you sort of go through that and sort of, look, we need a little bit of sunshine here, and you know, and stuff. We don't need gloom and doom. I, I, uh, I get so upset sometimes because I have too many remember wins that should have, could have been, would have been. But could you give us uh, a little bit of a heads up what's coming around the corner, you know, uh, with college tennis?
2: Well, I I'd love to. Uh, I think it's tough. You know, right now um, there's a lot of talk, which is great amongst uh, amongst a lot of a lot of coaches around the country. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a, a nice awakening happening. Um, you know, where we have such a great uh, we have such a great product, and 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 for most of most of most people, most kids that play con- competitive tennis, um, you know, we are we are the goal. You know, college tennis is is kind of at the pinnacle of their competitive careers, and and it's and it's such a an amazing uh, benefit for for kids to be on a college team. Just the camaraderie, just the understanding of how to work towards something, and it really teaches you a lot of components of being successful in the rest of your life. And so, it's such a great sport that 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 kids are joining. But um, right now in college tennis, it you know we as programs, I think need to do a little bit of a a better job of, of really becoming that pinnacle, becoming and really making junior tennis and and making the, the tennis community as a whole in the United States, um, part of what we do, you know, it's it's that's ultimately I think a goal, uh, a vision of mine, that where where it's it's we are basically coming from the college tennis point and, and going all the way down to the small towns of the United States and, and the coaches and the kid the, the coaches that are putting in the hard hours out on the park courts. I, I think we're all connected, we're all part of the same thing, we're all doing the same thing. We're all just at we're all just coaching at different stops. And uh the, the players that are involved, I feel like they need to be a part, the, the junior players, the five, six year old kids that are that are just starting to, to fall in love with tennis. I, I do think that they need to see, you know, kind of where it leads to at some point. It may not be at that age, but you know, maybe at the, the eight, nine, ten year olds, you know, getting involved with collegiate tennis in your home community and on and on. But, as far as going back into what you're saying, coach, as far as uh you know what the i t a is doing the i t a you know we we as a coach's organization are, are becoming active you know in the sense of you know we're a little bit you know it's we're not going to hide from the fact that uh you know four teams just in in our region alone, just in north carolina south carolina have been cut um, you know we're trying to figure out why maybe uh we're an attractive um target for for some a d s and and really get to the bottom of things and and find a way to become a little bit more relevant in in that regard of of so so that we would not become that attractive target so um the i t a is is you know we're working um i have decided to become a region region chair meaning that um i i am i have been delegated by the people in our our region to hear their voices, their, the coaches' voices, their needs, and then take that up the chain all the way up to, to be able to get things done. And so we're just in the infancy of really digging deep here. Um, you know, I think as with anything, with this pandemic, everything is so fluid and we don't really um, have anything set in stone per se, but we are we are working towards, um, you know, making sure that, that programs are, are taken care of for sure.
1: Great. I You know, that's it's really good. There's a concern. Um, most of us who've been in tennis a lot of years have, re, you know, we remember the tennis boom where thousands and thousands of people came out and started playing. And uh, mm-hmm. we saw USO, the open tennis era just make tennis explode. And, you know, then the, we had all those American champions um, and that came along. And so it was quite exciting in the late 70s all through the 80s. And up into the 90s, but recently, I whether it's the competition for kids' time or whatever, we have some some troubling statistics. Um, I often talk on our program here about the sleeping giants of American tennis. One of them is high school tennis. Uh, one of them mm-hmm. is small town tennis, USA. Uh, we, we we're not using our resources properly to make sure we can get kids in small towns where they want to step up and step out into tennis. We don't have anything for our young, for our college players. Right after college, from 22 to 35, I always say they commit tennis suicide. They stop playing completely. Golfers don't do that. And, uh, I mean, we have less people playing tennis than they pick up baseball or softball leagues after college. Then our older people go into pickleball instead of tennis, and I've uh, tried to address that. The biggest thing I said, our sleeping giant, is we need more bottom-up growth. We don't need top-down management, top-down systems. We need bottom-up incentives. Any thoughts on those things that I'm, that I'm talking about, talking about right there, Josh?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I, I agree i agree 100 percent i think that in each individual community is a little bit different than obviously the next and there's different demographics different uh geography different populations so so you know it's it is definitely it can't be governed nationally uh i i I do think that it has to be coming from the state level and then even almost dealt with in the county level but uh, a grassroots level needs to we there needs to be more focus there and so Uh, just going to take it a little bit differently and spin it back towards college tennis, how we, you know, maybe could be a, be of help. Um, you know, I, I, again, we are one community and so we can't just be separate and we're not in our little bubble here as college coaches and college, college athletes. Um, we should be, I think all celebrating our sport at some point during the year and coming together and, and really activating all, all parts of the, of that developmental chain. And, and really encouraging people to take part in it. And so a little bit of what you're saying right there is, um, I'd love, I'd love for us to have an end of the year, uh, uh, in our collegiate season, that would be in May, end of May, you know, right when kids get out of school, um, you know, all the tennis families and tennis communities can come together and, and really one place at some point when things get back to normal, obviously, um, We'd love for everybody to come together and really almost have like a somewhat of a tennis celebration. Whereas we have the NCAA's for Division ones, it can be two and three, NAIA, whoever you know. But the the vision would be to have everybody come in, have coaches, have junior tournaments, have high school events there, um, incentivize programs from the from from really saying, hey, look, you know, the high school program that finishes X. Uh, in their league or whatever gets a, gets a free trip or a certain stipend to come down to NCAAs and, and really be a part of this tennis a tennis celebration. And so there's something that these kids are hunting for and fighting for on a, on a yearly basis, and it's exciting, and, and there's a lot of media that goes around it. It could be something that's very exciting, but something also to really incentivize the coaches uh, with saying that, hey, look, you, free education. Um, coming down the pipe for you, you know, from college coaches or USTA development coaches or whoever, saying, "Look, we want to bring you in during this time so you can see kind of what a high-level Division One college player looks like, and then uh, mid-major college-level players are looking like, and what, and you can learn from the coaches, and they're going to be at your disposal to be really to be able to develop a a. Thorough, comprehensive system and connection between all levels of the game because ultimately uh, we, we as a college environment are not going to survive without the grassroots environment anyways. You know, so, right. so I think that we are all interconnected and, and you're talking about from the bottom up. I, I couldn't agree more. I would just love to brainstorm and get anybody's thoughts on how we can play a better role in that in our own communities, uh, in our own environment to really help with the coaching staff, uh, with the individual coaches that are out there that are, that are putting in those hard-earned hours and really giving their passion and giving their hours to kids that also love the game.
1: I love the idea, Josh. An American tennis celebration, I wrote down here, United States tennis celebration. How about American tennis celebration? Um, yeah. If we can get this stuff behind us. But you do, you include those um, those elements and focus around, you know, uh, bringing in the best high school teams and think, whether that takes – and here's the thing. Of course, every coach is worried about, right? You know where I'm going. Oh my gosh, what might be an NCAA violation here or something? But if we got right. the schools behind it and we got they, the, the, you know, some type of an absolution, to where we have an American tennis celebration, and then it they it would be tremendous. We need a shotgun start again. Uh, yeah. We need uh, we need some vitamin pills for our sport. And um, one thing I just wanted to add again and emphasize, everybody out there, it's your circle of influence. Those people around you, it's not your circle of concern. We all have the big, big, big world or, you know, United States circle of concern, but it's your circle of influence. It's the one person around you. Are you helping that youngster learn how to play tennis? Are you mentoring the youngsters Around you if you're a high school coach Are you becoming active in your Community are you going And doing what you need to to get those Kids out there on the tennis courts And you know we have the Best game in the world you all know that The best sport in the world but It is and listen folks An acquired taste It takes time it's extremely Hard it's a hard Sport to pick up it's A very very almost impossible Sport to put down for your your kids once they get into it, that's why we should want our youngsters into it. So I, I love love that idea about a, a tennis celebration, you know, American tennis celebration. And we we all know some people down there in Orlando. They would love that because they're going to need it too. But if that's a Absolutely. fantastic it's, idea,
2: it's not just the motivation I, of the kids, you know, it's and the, it's the motivation of the coaches. And then when the coaches and the kids become motivated together. Uh, they get excited together. That's when that's when it becomes fun, and that that is it's it's that contagious energy that our sport can provide that really needs to be uh, invigorated again. And we need to get an injection, like you said there. And and the only way to do that is to really just come together with a p- people that are all very passionate about our sport. And the sport has given so many gifts to all of us uh, in so many ways that it's really our duty to give back in that, in that regard. And and to me, that would be one, one option. And I'm sure there's many others, but I know that personally I've become so invigorated as a coach. When I go and watch people that are just also very passionate and being around people that are very passionate about the sport, I become invigorated again. I become, you know, I, I want to get better at what I do, you know, and if you're not around that and you're around people that are, are not very passionate about the game or don't understand, uh, really, what you're doing and why you're doing it, then then it's very easy to become complacent in your own community. And so the really the, the the coaching development, the exposure to our for everybody to be involved in in the community and be surround themselves with that is is important. Yet funds are also going to be a problem there. So I think that's where the USDA can really come in and be involved and and offer these incentive packages for junior players, junior level uh, high school events whatever it might be, JTL leagues, every league that is as out there should have something where, hey, we're going to, the winner or whoever is going to be invited down to be a part of this, and it's going to be something very special.
1: I, I, I love the idea, and I look forward to talking with you about that more. We've got about two minutes okay. left. Um, I would try to encourage you to please think when you're talking to the coaches and Um, You know, you have your meetings. Uh, It it might be a great time to reevaluate, you know, our format, season formats. Um, You know, I've discussed with you before how great, like the high school um, in Texas, their format of playing team matches in the fall, individual tournaments in the spring, we could have the grand slam of college tennis in the spring it would be the best amateur circuit in the world with with a clay court indoors hard court outdoors and then the ncaa championship that could be our grand slam now the beauty in that is that teams if you don't have a lot of money you don't have to play many tournaments but you could you could pick and we had that satellite events around those events all trying to build kids rankings and their initiatives of moving forward individually and then springboarding into the summer. I think team tennis Mm -hmm. is wonderful. It has a place. But I think we could do that in the fall with piggyback football games on the weekend. On a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon, we could have a a short season or a 10-week season or something and generate a lot of team support. But we, we could also... You know, we we could have two sports for men, two sports for women with the same amount of people and the same amount of money, and the athletic directors would love that. We could cover two more sports like track and field does with indoor, outdoor, and uh, cross-country. They they uh, save a lot of money. I've got, got 90 seconds here. Go ahead, Coach, anything real quick there, and then, shoot, I can't thank you enough. Anything real quick on
2: that? Does no, it sounds like a great idea? I think there's a lot of talk about format. I think there's a lot of talk about um, you know about changing college tennis to make it become more relevant. I still go back to the same thing that I've been talking about the entire time: is that uh, to really become relevant, to really become relevant to your ADs, it's you get, we need to become the hub of our of our community. So we really need to reach out to all those junior development coaches uh, exactly. and and what yeah get out to the courts get out to the courts, get out to the park courts, go see them, go talk with them, ask them how we can be of service. What can we do better? How can we help them really become the hub, the center of our little community, tennis community. And that'll generate a lot of uh, fans, a lot of community around us. And to me, that's how we start from the bottom up, is in our own little small community. So um, I couldn't agree more in that regard.
1: Josh Goffey, I cannot thank you enough. It's great wisdom. We're going to put that one in the bank. And we're gonna have it up, folks. Look, look on uh, Facebook. Go to Yellow Ball Network. Look, look for American Tennis with Coach Creasy. But, folks, brother, this has been a great show. Josh, I cannot thank you enough. You know, uh, and thank you for your My work pleasure. with young people. God bless you, man. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Coach. Thanks for everything. I'm